The Pre-Med Year, session number 325. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome back to the pre-med years. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. My goal here at the pre-med years and at MedEd Media in general, which if you didn't know, we have a whole network of podcasts for pre-meds and medical students, which you can find at mededmedia.com. That's M-E-D-E-D media.com. My goal here is to educate you on the process of getting into medical school. And that may be a U.S. medical school, a Canadian medical school, or for today's episode, an international medical school. Now, we're not going to be talking about specifically getting into an international medical school. We're going to be talking about the process of coming back to the U.S. if you're a U.S. citizen, if you go to an international medical school, or the process of coming to the U.S. if you're not a U.S. citizen, but you want to come and practice and do your training in the U.S. We have a great guest from ECFMG, which is the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates. We have Liz on, who's going to share all of her knowledge about the process for students coming back to the U.S. to practice. Liz, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk all about the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates, or the easy word, ECFMG. I want to know if if you guys have ever thought about using it as a word like NASA. How how would you say ECFMG as a word? <laughs> uh, actually, we we have not thought about that. Uh, it's an interesting uh, idea to bring forward. Um, I think it's a bit of a tongue twister, but I uh, I'll certainly broach that topic here at ECFMG. Let's start with who you are at ECFMG. So I am the Assistant Vice President for Communications and External Affairs at ECFMG. And in that position, I oversee our informational materials, uh, including those for medical students and graduates, our web materials, uh, webinars, our one sheets. So if you or your listeners have any suggestions at all for me, please let me know. How to get the word out more and educate them more on, on your mission there at ECFMG. Sure. Or right. any, any topics that we're not covering or not covering enough. Okay, very cool. So I think the majority of the students listening to this who are our pre-med students, probably have never heard of ECFMG before. So for that student, what would you tell them your role in this world of medical education? So first, anybody who has not heard of ECFMG as a potential medical school student should not feel badly. Uh, we are usually not known until uh, we are contacted by medical students or graduates. ECFMG is a private nonprofit organization uh, that has been around for about 62 years. And for nearly all of that history, it has been responsible for evaluating international medical graduates who wish to come to the United States and train. And by an international medical graduate, I mean a student or a graduate who received the basic medical qualification, the degree, from a school outside the United States and Canada. And it really is important to stress that it is the location of the medical school, not citizenship, that makes one an international medical graduate. So U.S. citizens who choose to pursue medical education abroad and receive their degree abroad are considered international medical graduates. And their first step 
in returning from education to pursue U.S. residency would be ECFMG and its program of certification. Why was it formed? If if I'm a, a student and I'm thinking I'm going to go to the Caribbean, I get to live on the beach and, and study medicine and I'm going to come back, why do I need to go through this private nonprofit organization to potentially come back and practice? Why can't I just do what every other student does? So the ECFMG was formed actually by prominent organizations in uh, what we call the kind of the house of medicine, those uh, those uh, organizations that are responsible for the assessment, education, and training of physicians. And those organizations formed ECFMG in 1956 because of the number of interns, residents who were coming in to serve in U.S. hospitals who uh, were, were coming in from schools abroad. And there are nearly you know, 4,000 operating medical schools around the world. Uh, and as you can imagine, Ryan, they, they vary widely by curriculum, facilities. And so the purpose of certification is really to assess whether international medical graduates, regardless of what school they're coming from and what their education has been like, whether they're ready to enter U.S. training programs accredited by the ACGME. Are you looking at students on a case-by-case basis, are you looking at the schools and kind of like how LCME and the AOA accredit U.S. schools, are you basically a, an accreditation service for the international medical schools for students who want to come here? No, no, Ryan, we're not. We're actually not involved in the accreditation of medical schools. And that's a great question and an important point. Many of our requirements, and they are, they are threefold, for IMGs who wish to pursue ECFMG certification, many of our requirements focus on the individual physician. So there are examinations in the medical and clinical sciences and clinical skills, USMLE Step 1, Step 2 CS, and Step 2 CK. Those are among the same examinations taken by U.S. medical school students and graduates. In addition to that, ECFMG has a credential requirement And that is basically looking at the final medical diploma, final medical school transcript. And we verify the authenticity of those back with the medical school that issued them to ensure that they're authentic, to ensure that that individual has credentials. Now, moving toward medical school, we do set certain requirements for the medical school, although we are not an accrediting agency. And those requirements are that the school be listed in the World Directory of Medical Schools. Um, which is the premier resource on medical schools around the world, and that their students and graduates be eligible for licensure in the country of medical education. Um, You may know, and some of your listeners may be interested in learning more about our Accreditation 2023 initiative. There's information on the ECFMG website. Beginning in 2023, ECFMG will require that an applicant's medical school be appropriately accredited. And for us, that means accredited by an accrediting agency that is recognized by the World Federation for Medical Education. So there will be some additional requirements for medical schools coming in the future. For students, if we took a snapshot of schools right now, what percentage of those international medical schools aren't accredited? So that I don't have uh, at the tip of my tongue. I know that there are a number of schools that are, I I can get that information for you. I don't have that handy. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. I just want to make sure that we, because students are looking to go international, whether it's Australia, Scotland, Israel, 
UK sometimes and, and obviously the Caribbean as well. So my goal whenever talking to students about international medical schools is to make sure they understand the school itself. And obviously, you guys are playing a big part of that kind of requiring that accreditation process so that hopefully students are going to a school that will serve them for the future. So we share that concern, uh, Ryan. We are focusing more on how we can empower and educate students who are thinking about an international medical school. So in addition to our 2023 requirement, I think it's uh, important to note that late last year, we published a medical school selection guide on our website, which really is is a checklist of things that students should be looking at if they're entertaining an international medical school. Now, appropriate accreditation is one of those, but also there are characteristics having to do with faculty facilities. So I really encourage anybody thinking about an international medical school to use that resource just as as a baseline to ask the right questions. What are some of the biggest issues that you see, and we'll, we'll speak specifically for right now, about U.S. citizens going to an international medical school and then trying to come back to the U.S. for residency for for postgraduate training? What are some of the issues that they run into that hold up their ability to do that? So, as we said, U.S. citizens are considered international medical graduates, so they do need to come through the ECFMG, and that means meeting the requirements for medical schools, examinations, and primary source verification of those core medical education credentials. I think that it might be helpful context to know that the number of U.S. citizens who are pursuing medical education abroad is trending upward. Um, your listeners might be surprised to know that about a third or maybe a little more than a third of the physicians we certify every year are U.S. citizens who have gone to, gone to school abroad and are coming back to compete for our residency positions. And since we certify about 10,000 physicians each year, uh, that's well over 3,000 physicians every year that are going through the ECFMG process and who are then competing for a residency position. I think that as far as challenges, I think that U.S. citizens who are thinking about school abroad, in addition to selecting the correct school, an appropriate school, really need to educate themselves about match rates. That is the success rate that IMGs, both U.S. citizens and non-U.S. citizens have in obtaining that first year residency position. And for the most recent match, of course, we're heading into match season for 2019, but for 2018, that match rate for U.S. citizen IMGs was in the high 50s, which means that 40 plus percent of U.S. IMGs did not match to a first year residency position. Do you play at all looking at the data from from the international medical schools, maybe specifically Caribbean schools, for their data where they show that 90 plus percent of students pass USMLE step one on the first try and they have a 90 plus percentage match rate. Do you look at that data and actually analyze that data to see if it's if it's true? No, we do not. We do not. We're not uh, involved in uh, helping international medical schools meet requirements, promote their schools. And so we really encourage students to do their due diligence and do the research themselves. The USMLE pass rates Uh, not by school, but there is USMLE pass rate information on the USMLE website at usmle.org. 
which may be a helpful starting point. Yeah. When does an international student start to reach out to ECFMG? Is that something they have to do on their own? Is that something that the medical schools announce and say, okay, it's time to, to reach out to Liz at ECFMG and, <laughs> and start your process? So both students and graduates can begin the ECFMG certification process. The first step is simply uh, to get a USMLE ECFMG ID number and then apply for ECFMG certification. The application for ECFMG certification is a very brief application. And once those two are completed, one can apply for the first examination, as long as one has met the requirements. Generally speaking, those requirements are having completed the first two years of medical school. Uh, The exact requirements are listed on the ECFMG website. As to whether how one gets connected with ECFMG, it really does differ by school. Uh, Some schools are more structured than others. For many of our applicants, they have already graduated from medical school by the time we hear from them. You mentioned earlier that part of the, the certification process involves checking the diploma, going back to the school and, and checking from the source to make sure that that student is legitimate and actually has a diploma. How does that timing work with somebody who's trying to apply for the match during a normal time frame before they actually have a diploma? So the response rates by school do vary. I think that it's important to know that we're increasingly doing electronic verification, web-based verification. So we're very quickly eliminating the paper-based process, whereby we mail a copy of the credential to the school and wait for a mailed response back. And that has been very helpful in expediting. I also wanted to point out that one need not meet the credential requirements for certification to engage with the match. So by the rank order list deadline for the match, one only needs to have passed all the exams required for ECFMG certification by the rank order list certification deadline, which I believe this year is on February 20, just a couple of weeks away. Uh, So again, one does not need to have the credentials verified by the school in order to participate in the match. But that process does need to be complete before the program start date so one can get certified before the program start date, typically around July 1. Okay, that makes sense. Now, you mentioned something, the student applies for the ECFMG certification, and they take a test. Are you guys administering a test for for international graduates? So actually, ECFMG uses the United States Medical Licensing Examination, or USMLE, to meet its examination requirements. And the USMLE is jointly owned here in the States by the National Board of Medical Examiners and the Federation of State Medical Boards. It is used uh, primarily to grant the initial license to practice medicine and therefore is also taken by U.S. medical students and graduates at various stages in their career. So the examination is the USMLE examination. It is not an ECFMG examination. Step one and step two, which are the computer-based, step two CK, are the computer-based multiple choice examinations. And they are given in Prometric test centers around the world. Step 2CS, the second component of the Step 2 examination, is the clinical skills component. And ECFMG does partner with the National Board of Medical Examiners to deliver that examination at six test centers in the United States. So for Step 2CS, ECFMG does have a role in running the test centers and administering the examination. 
Interesting. So, and I just make a clarifying point for students. We keep mentioning USMLE because the international medical schools are all allopathic medical schools versus the US has osteopathic medical schools where those students take Comlex. But we speak USMLE here because that's what the international schools are. Um, Absolutely. So it's it sounds like, and clarify or correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like for an international student to sit for the USMLE exams, step one, obviously, to begin with, they need to have started going through the ECFMG process. That's right. They have to complete those two initial steps, applying for an identification number and then applying for ECFMG certification, which is a short six-question application web-based, which includes uh, an identity verification component. After that, and once they meet the eligibility requirements, the medical education requirements to take the examinations, they can apply for the examinations, and those examinations can be taken in any order as long as one meets the educational requirement. Okay, interesting. All right, so as, as a U.S. student, you don't need to go through any process. Just being a student at a U.S. school qualifies you for sitting for that exam, but for international, you have to go through ECFMG. That's correct. All right. Interesting. So let's speak for a minute about non-U.S. citizen, non-Canadian citizen, somebody who has graduated, maybe they're from, from let's say, Pakistan, and they graduated from a medical school in Pakistan, and, and their dream is to come to the U.S. to practice medicine. What does that process look like, whether they're a medical student currently in Pakistan or they've been out practicing for a while in Pakistan? So the process is almost identical to that for U.S. citizens who go to medical school abroad and then come back to the United States. As I stated before, an IMG is one who goes to medical school, obtains that final medical school qualification from a medical school outside the U.S. and Canada. So the steps are identical. The one place in the process, and we haven't really talked about beyond examinations and certification, uh, the one part in the process that would differ is that those individuals will likely need an appropriate visa to engage in graduate medical education in the United States, whereas U.S. citizens would not need that visa should they match to a position and want to participate. And again, is that something they need prior to reaching out to you guys, or is that something that they would just need prior to the start of their program? So um, one cannot actually apply for the two appropriate visa types until one has a contract. So the process of, um, while it's great to educate oneself about what's required and the fact that this might be coming down the road, one actually needs to meet the requirement, meet the exam requirements for certification, participate in the match, successfully match to a program. And once one has that contract for the residency program, one can begin the process of applying for a visa. So that process really starts during match week uh, in March. And the individual has those several months until typically July 1 to obtain that visa. I don't know whether your listeners know that ECFMG is the sole sponsor for the most common visa used by non-U.S. citizen IMGs to participate in graduate medical education, and that is the J-1 visa. So that's that's interesting. I was just gonna, going to talk about the, the residency programs being the sponsor, but ECFMG is the sponsor? So yeah, this is this is a really interesting. Um, and and as your readers kind of progress through their careers, 
these are the the layers of information, and I, I think it is a, a a process where there's a lot of players, and you need to absorb the information kind of uh, in stages. So the two visas that are uh, most typically used for non-U.S. citizens to participate in U.S. graduate medical education are the J-1 visa and the H-1B visa. For the J-1 visa, ECFMG is the sole sponsor designated by the U.S. Department of State. And that means we sponsor all uh, physicians and clinical training programs in the U.S. who are not U.S. citizens. Wow. It is a cultural and educational exchange visa. Contrasting that very, very briefly, very essentially with the H-1B is a temporary uh, worker in a specialty occupation uh, that is an employment visa. And the H-1B is actually um, sponsored by the employing hospital. Are there any concerns for, for an international student coming here who needs a visa? Are there any concerns that he or she should have with the current administration or any future administrations with any sort of visa hangups once they match into a program? So I think the last couple of years have been challenging with respect to the immigration environment here in the United States. And we at ECFMG have been watching this carefully. We certainly are concerned that we continue to be a great training location for the best and the brightest. And currently, the current visa restrictions in place are essentially not affecting the ability of folks to obtain visa sponsorship obtain the visa and come in. The effect that it may be having is that folks may choose another training location because of the they may perceive this environment as unwelcoming. Yeah. But currently it it really is, you know, people from North Korea were impacted and we, we don't have any applicants from North Korea. Folks from Syria, although I think we can happily report that those folks have gotten exceptions. And uh, government officials in from Venezuela, which really doesn't obtain. So mm. right now there actually are really no legislative barriers for the vast majority of folks who are non-US citizens who want to train here. With the reports of the physician shortage in the coming years, what role does ECFMG have in potentially trying to go to these other countries and have students and physicians come and, and practice here? So ECFMG actually doesn't recruit physicians to come to the United States. We are here when folks around the world make that decision that they'd like to pursue training here. Uh, we are here to evaluate them, certify them if they meet the requirements, and to maintain a, a qualified pool of international medical graduates from which program directors can select. That said, um, a full 25% of IMGs, both in training and in practice, in the United States are international medical graduates. That's more than 260,000 physicians as of the end of 2017. So international me medical graduates play a huge role. And ECFMG's role is to ensure that those who compete and enter those positions are, are meet minimum qualifications to do so. For a, a U.S. student, there's the typical USMLE pass rate and, and score that they need to obtain to pass and move on to the next steps. For the international graduate, for EF, ECFMG's purposes, what are the minimum requirements, if any different, than a U.S. student? So in order to meet the examination requirements for ECFMG certification, an individual needs to obtain the USMLE recommended minimum passing score on each examination. 
ECFMG does not set requirements that are different or separate from those set by the USMLE program. Individual medical schools, and as I said, there are many thousands around the world, may set individual requirements. um, And we really encourage students to, to check in on requirements for progression with their medical school. How much of a role or an eye on students you have once they are ECFMG certified, do you follow them at least data-wise through the match process? So we know, like the rest of the world, (laughs) overall match numbers that are provided by the National Resident Matching Program. And those data uh, for us are limited to how many IMGs matched and how many of those were U.S. citizens and non-U.S. citizens. So basically anything that's in what the NRMB calls the data tables for the main residency match. And and that's a wealth of information for folks who are ready to absorb that information at nrmp.org. But ECFMG does not get detailed information or track folks as they are matched, as they enter and progress through graduate medical education, with the exception of those physicians that we sponsor for the J-1 visa. J-1 visa sponsorship through ECFMG needs to be renewed annually. So we are in touch closely with those folks and their, their host institutions on their, to make sure they're meeting their sponsorship requirements. And currently, that's about 11,000 physicians, uh, non-U.S. citizen physicians at all levels of training in the United States. What would be a reason for an international grad to lose their ability to keep their J-1 visa? So there are a host of requirements, and I'm not the expert on J-1 visas, but I would would encourage folks to go to our J-1 visa sponsorship section uh, of the ECFMG website to learn what the requirements are for obtaining and, you know, as you point out, maintaining J-1 visa sponsorship through ECFMG. Yeah. So I think as we wrap up here, for the purposes of our audience that are listening, who who may be thinking about going to a Caribbean medical school or, or maybe Australia, what would you recommend to them or, or best words of wisdom for them to be successful going international and then coming back to be able to match at a U.S. program? So I think I, I would give uh, two bits of advice, Ryan. One is Engage with ECFMG early, not necessarily as an applicant, but as one who is engaged with our social media, our email newsletters, our fact sheets, because over time, I think your readers will absorb some of the issues, requirements, and will become aware of of some of the important points that they'll need to deal with. And it's certainly uh, sooner rather than later is the key there. Mm. And I think that There are a few resources that I would name as top resources that are certainly available to most of your listeners now. I would encourage them to join the ECFMG Reporter email newsletter, subscription free and available on the ECFMG website. Read the certification fact sheet. And that is uh, which in the equivalent of a few printed pages really gives an overview of the process from the moment that one applies for an ID number all the way through getting a visa and progressing through GME. Because I think the second point that I would stress is it is not uh, necessarily easier as a U.S. citizen to obtain ECFMG certification and get back into the United States for graduate medical education and training. And ECFMG is really just the start of the process. There are a number of organizations that 
assess and train physicians as they progress from you know medical school through training, ultimately to licensure. And it is a it, it can be a daunting task for applicants to keep uh, all the organizations straight, all the requirements, and uh, hopefully the more prepared they are, the more likely they are to keep everything organized and not miss deadlines. All right, so there you have it again. That was Liz with ECFMG. Hopefully, this gives you some insight if you're planning on going to the Caribbean or Australia or anywhere overseas outside of the U.S. and Canada to go to medical school. This will give you some insight on the process of coming back to the U.S. Now, obviously, a big part of that are the board exams, which U.S. students have to take as well. I highly encourage you to look at the data, the match data from NRMP, as well as as much data as you can find from the schools to look at board passing rates, to look at match rates for the schools, and really dig deep and ask those hard questions. I would ask questions specifically about what percentage of students they actually let sit for the USMLE exam. Now, international medical schools, as well as U.S. medical schools, will have a competency exam for students to make sure they're ready to sit for the exam. And if you can't pass that competency exam up to a level that they deem appropriate, they won't let you sit and will kick you out of school and unfortunately ending your medical education and and career, uh, future career as a physician. So really ask those hard questions, dig deep and ask those hard questions to make sure that you are going to a school that is going to serve you well. And then with all the information on the podcast today that Liz gave us, you're going to have a leg up and understanding of what's necessary to come back to be able to practice here in the U.S. If you have any more questions about the ECFMG certification and that that whole process, go to ecfmg.org. They have a ton of information there for you to dig into and kill some time instead of watching Netflix. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. (laughs) 